Hi, good morning. I'm Pastor Raul, and I have the privilege of reading our scripture and bringing the word this morning. So let's jump in. Uh, we're going to be looking at Acts 10, verses 30 through 36. Cornelius answered, Four days ago at that, this same time, three o'clock in the afternoon, I was praying at home, and suddenly a man in radiant clothing stood before me. He said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayers, and your compassionate acts are like a memorial offering to him. Therefore, send someone to Joppa and summon Simon, who is known as Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, located near the sea coast. I sent for you right away, and you were kind enough to come. Now here we are, gathered in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has directed you to say. Peter said, I really am learning that God doesn't show partiality to one group of people over another. Rather, in every nation, whoever worships him and does what is right is acceptable to him. This is the message of peace he sent to the Israelites by proclaiming the good news through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. Lord God, I pray that you are uh, in uh, these words and in the homes uh, of the people that will receive this word this morning. Lord God, we desire shalom in our homes. Uh, So Lord God, would you help us to seek it first in your church? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, again, I'm uh, Pastor Raul, and uh, I I am excited to be able to preach the word to you. Uh, Today, I get to focus and continue on uh, in the series on Shalom, Uh, and today we're going to be looking at uh, Shalom in the family, but I want to focus primarily on God's family. Because I, I believe that uh, the Spirit of God uh, was given to the community, to the church first, uh, not primarily to the individual. Although God's love uh, is for all his children, uh, he gave his Spirit an access to shalom uh, to the faith family first, as today's text shows us. So uh, before I jump into uh, discussing uh, what uh, you know, God's family and shalom in God's family. I think we just need to uh, refresh. What is shalom? I know we've talked about this. Pastor Scott has talked about this many times in these previous sermons, but it's, it's a difficult concept. I, I don't know that uh, uh, any of us naturally just live into shalom. So I just want to re- review it again and help set up uh, kind of our thoughts as we get into this today. So what is shalom? Well, I can tell you what it's not. It's not peace as we think about it. Peace is like a contract that at the first sign of trouble, it up and leaves us uh, and just walks away from us. And many of us know what this feels like, feeling like we're in the pocket. We're feeling like we're, we're, we're in a, 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 you know, a good rhythm in our lives and all of a sudden something comes and disrupts it and boom, peace disappears. No, shalom is a covenant. It's a covenant that sticks by us through thick and thin. Covenant is a state of being that is gifted to us from God. Shalom is being whole when brokenness is all around us. 
It's being complete when so much is unknown. It is being sound when there's so much to fear. It's being healthy, though we are subject to sickness and death. It is being secure, though harm still comes to us. Shalom is a supernatural state of being at peace in the world because we trust in who God is in us. Trusting fully in God, surrender is a necessary posture to receive God's shalom. Consider Isaiah 26. Those with sound thoughts, you God, will keep in peace, will keep in shalom. In shalom because they trust in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord is the rock of all ages. So we trust in this one. We put our trust in the Lord because he was punished to bring us this peace. Consider Isaiah 53. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us shalom was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. So when we believe that Jesus, through the cross, brought us peace, and not only brought us peace, but the shalom rested on him so that he could endure what needed to be endured for our sake. It is a state of being that he had received and he offers to those who may trust him. Which considers, let's consider asking that question, who really receives shalom? Because so many of us feel like that is not what we live in. So who actually is the recipient of shalom? Well, Peter sums it up perfectly in our text today. uh, As the spirit begins to fall on Cornelius and his household, who were outsiders to the faith believed by Peter and his uh, Jewish community. They were outsiders. They were unclean. They were unwelcomed. And yet the spirit begins to fall upon them. And so Peter sums it up this way, who shalom is for. Peter says, in every nation, Whoever worships him and does what is right is acceptable to him. This is the message of shalom. He sent to the the Israelites by proclaiming the good news through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. Did you catch that? The message of peace, the message of shalom is that Jesus is Lord of all. Meaning there is no longer divine partiality, who is in or who is out. Those are gone. No longer in or out by by race, by blood, by gender, social status, traditions, abilities, the law, or any other subjective means or, or measures that we would come up with. And we like to come up with subjective measures because we like to know who's in and who is out at any point in time. No, God is saying all have access to his family and are acceptable to him if they would but do two things, as Peter defines it, to worship him and to do what is right. 
Worshiping him and doing what is right in God's eyes places us firmly in God's family. Being a part of God's family is God's priority for us. So, have you considered that you have a role to play in God's family? I mean, you have a role to play in your natural family, which comes second to God's family. So you certainly have a role in God's family. Have you asked God, our father, recently, what role you have to play in his family? Paul said this, Christ himself gave to the church the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. What role do you have to play in God's family? What spiritual gifts can you offer to the common good of this family? For example, house church leaders, connect group leaders. Have you considered you might be teachers or elders in the church? After all, you are leading groups of people to live into the truth of God's word and to love one another sacrificially. I would say that you are little churches. Scripture doesn't necessitate someone to be able to preach long and eloquent sermons to be a teacher. In fact, Paul said that preaching with eloquence drains the cross of its power. That somehow Jesus isn't enough and the message, the good news, isn't sufficient enough. No, we need to add eloquent words to get people to feel entertained and to actually listen. No, Paul says the gospel itself is enough. Rather, Titus 1 says that a leader must be able to teach in this way. Leaders must pay attention to the reliable message as it has been taught to them so that They can encourage people with healthy instruction and refute those who speak against it. A teacher is one who knows the teachings of Christ and is able to encourage and correct God's people. It isn't about eloquent speech. It is having the knowledge of God's word and the ability to encourage and correct. What role do you have to play in God's family? I would encourage you to ask our father that question and really listen to what he has to say. Trust what he has to say and test it. Test it by sharing what you hear with your group leader or your pastors. Let's get you in the role that God wants you to play in his family. But faith family, I I must caution you. I must caution you in the way that Christ cautions us. We must be careful not to become prideful or pretentious in the faith. Doesn't Jesus say that some on the judgment day will come to him who have done works in his name and call out to him and say, Lord, Lord. And he will say, depart from me. I never knew you. That should scare us to death. Why does he say that? Perhaps because they did not do those works 
in faithfulness and love. But it pleased God to invite Cornelius and his family, outsiders, into God's household because of how faithful they were in their actions. Those who put their love and faith in action are who are in God's family, not those who simply pay lip service to him. Consider this story. Who does Jesus say his family is? This comes from Matthew 12. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. And he replied to him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Who is in Jesus's family? Those who do the will of his father, our father, who worship him and do what is right. Yet, when we think, when we try to think about who is a part of the faith family, we likely think about those who look and act and think just like us. We want to know and feel good about who we are, so we look at others around us that are like us, and we say they are good too. This is what Peter thought, and this is why he didn't even want to set foot in Cornelius' house, though God told him to go. He had an initial resistance, because Peter, he's a Jew, and all Jews around him are good, and Cornelius was not. So what about those who are different than us? Are they not good? Are they outside because they're different? What about prostitutes? Prostitutes like Rahab. What about immigrants? Immigrants and unbelievers like Ruth. Both we may consider outside of God's family, but both because of their faithful and loving actions are not only in the faith family, they are included in the lineage list of Jesus Christ, the head of our family. It's in Matthew 1. So, if sinners and unbelievers like these are in the lineage of Christ because of their actions, what does it seem God cares more about? A sacrifice of praise or obedience to his word? I tell you the truth, and so does scripture, that obedience is always better than sacrifice. More pointedly, it is better to love your neighbor than to worship God in a Sunday service. To love neighbor is to love God. It is to worship him and do what is right, not just in thought, but in action. So again, let me ask, if sinners and unbelievers like these are in the lineage of Jesus Christ because of their actions, can sinners and unbelievers today be a part of God's family because of their actions? Again, 
Consider this parable from Jesus. Matthew 21. There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and he went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. And he answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did what the father wanted? Which of the two did what the father wanted? The first, they answered. So Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness. For your pastor came to you to show you the way of righteousness. For your parent came to you to show you the way of righteousness. A teacher, a friend, a loved one came to you to show you the way of righteousness and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe in him. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? He is saying it's not those who confess him as Lord who are entering the kingdom of God. It is those who believed the truth about Jesus and all the implications of his kingship and then did what he asked them to do, to love their neighbor. Shalom is found in lovingly doing the will of our Father. That's how the faith family will experience and live into shalom. If we want to have a worthwhile faith instead of a worthless religion, we must be doers of the word and not just hearers, as James 1 tells us. He says here, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and the religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, says James, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. This is where shalom is, faith family. It is in acting on the word with the love of Christ in our hearts for our neighbor. Here's the thing. The church is still the organism and the organization that God gave his spirit to. Ephesians 3.10 says, God's purpose is now to show the rulers and powers in the heavens the many different varieties of his wisdom through the church. 
through us together in his spirit. The faith family, the church is the means God has chosen to display his infinite wisdom to all in heaven and on earth. And to be acceptable to him, we must confess and worship Jesus and do what is right for our neighbor, loving our neighbor. Yes, all this is still the truth. But, simply put, those outside the church love better than those inside the church sometimes. Sometimes God's shalom is more readily available to those outside of our fellowship because they put their love into action. Does that mean that they are more the church than those who would confess Jesus but do not actively love our neighbor? Consider one more parable. There was once a noble family who had been set apart from the rest of the community. They had come to believe that this special stone, this heirloom that had been passed down through their line, could, when it was thrown into the lake, could cause ripples that hit every edge of the shore. And they felt this was quite unique. So unique, so confident were they, that they challenged the entire town to come out and try and do likewise. So the town came out. The common folks, the sinners, the prostitutes, the immigrants, they even let the prisoners out for the day to come join the contest. With their rocks in hand, each found a position around the lake shore. The contest began when the noble family cast the first stone. So they did. They tossed in their stone. Then the rest of the town could go. But instead of throwing all at once, the townspeople had agreed to wait for one another. So the first town person threw their rock in. And as their ripple reached to the person on their left and their right, those people threw in their stones. And likewise, until the ripples were going Ripple after ripple after ripple all around the lake. This continued all throughout the day, long after the noble family watched their ripple hit each shore and declared themselves the winners. They left without noticing that it was their ripple that started the chain reaction of ripples all around the lake. The townspeople were not competing with them. They had compassion on the noble family. And they had been inviting them to be a part of the whole. Here's what I know. People who love their neighbor, but do not yet confess Jesus as Lord are entering the kingdom of God ahead of those who confess Jesus but do not love their neighbor. Obedience is always better than sacrifice. And to love your neighbor is obedience. To love your neighbor is to worship God. To love your neighbor is to do what is right. 
to love your neighbor is what will bring shalom to the church and shalom to your home. Some of us who consider ourselves noble because of our faith might need to humble ourselves and consider if others who are not as noble as ourselves perhaps know how to love better than we do. Resist, therefore, about being judgmental about who is in. For if God has shown through today's text that he no longer has divine impartiality for who can join his family, if you, by casting judgment, you may cause yourself to find that you're against God. And you may be casting yourself out from his spirit and his shalom. So do not judge. Leave judgment to God for your own sake. Instead, make use of that energy by trying to outdo each other in love and good deeds. Let yourselves be moved by someone's act of love for another this week. Then try to top it. Let yourselves be spurred on to loving acts in the name of Jesus. Become one ripple among the family of ripples of God. Be peacemakers, shalom makers. For God promises to give you shalom when you do. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this word. I pray that... uh, If you have a stone to give us, Lord God, I pray that it would, uh, uh, you would rest it upon us and carry it with us. Lord God, if there is something you desire to put heavy on our hearts, Lord God, I I pray you would uh, set it there, but not leave us. Father God, uh, if we need to be humbled, would you humble us? If we need to be courageous to ask you what role we have to play, would you help us ask that question? Father God, we desire to be Uh, a loving community, not a judgmental one, to love you and do what your word says. But we need your help. So Father God, would you be with each in their homes now? uh, And uh, Spirit, would you be speaking? Hearts, would you be listening? uh, For Lord God, you are doing something in the world that we want to be a part of. And we just don't know how to do it. Would you direct us, Father? In Jesus' name, amen.